We are picking up where we left off in 2 Peter. Who remembers what we talked about last week in 2 Peter? False prophets. Absolutely right. Peter was, was giving the early church warning. And what he said is you guys need to be on guard because in, in a church, and, and this is still true today, really in any church, there's going to be people who come in and who are going to try to manipulate what the Bible says, what the Word of God says. And that's what was happening in this early church. People were coming in, and, and they were coming in, and what they were teaching sounded like it was Scripture, but then they were also taking what Scripture said and twisting it to make it say something that it didn't say. So Peter was saying, hey, you need to be on guard against these false teachers, but not just a warning, he also encouraged them. He reminded them that, that even if these people are around, we need to trust that God is sovereign. Because sometimes it, it looks like the, the false teachers, you, know, you can see it today. You can, you can see people who, who say they're preaching the gospel, say they're preaching the Bible, and yet they start teaching all kinds of things that aren't what Scripture says. And it looks like God is giving them success. Like, I mean, they're, they're, they're making money and their churches are growing and all kinds of what worldly outside stuff looks like. They're doing really, really well. And we look at that and wonder, why? Why, why would God let that happen? If, if that's not really what God's word says, why is God allowing them to have success? And what Peter warns them about here or tells them is that, hey, even when you see that, you need to trust this. You need to trust that God is sovereign, that God is still in control, that God knows what he's doing. And even when by our standards, it looks like somebody's succeeding where they shouldn't succeed because they're twisting God's word. We need to trust that, that God's the one that's in control of that and he's not going to be mocked and he's not going to be misrepresented. In the end, he's going to take care of himself. So that's kind of what was going on in the first half of the chapter tonight as we pick up in the second half of the chapter. And what Peter does is he continues his warning, but he does it a little bit differently now. He just doesn't go from, hey, you need to look out from false teachers. He says, hey, let me tell you what false teachers look like. Let me give you some examples of things you need to, to look for so that when you hear somebody who says they're preaching the Word of God, you can tell if they're actually preaching the Word of God or if they're really just kind of looking out for themselves. And in the second half of the chapter, he gives us three specific things to look for. And we're going to read through this scripture and we're going to look at what those things are. But before we do that, let's walk through the questions that are important to know the answers to every time we study a book of the Bible. Question number one, who wrote the book of 2 Peter? Peter. Y'all are tired of these questions, aren't you? Okay. When do we believe he wrote it? Not where, when. Yeah, 62 to 68, 64. It's somewhere in that early 60s to late 60s. Where do we believe he wrote it? In jail, where? In Rome, absolutely. Okay. Who do we think he wrote it to? No, it's not jail. Who did he write it to? Yeah, he, he wrote it to the early church. The, remember? Hey, remember, these are the believers that were facing persecution. Do you remember the name of that emperor we talked about? Nero. And do you remember what he did with Christians or what he's rumored to have done with Christians? Not jail. Human torches. Like, he, it, it's rumored the... the um, legend, whatever you want to call it, would tell us, history would tell us that he would have a party and he would take a person that claimed to be a Christian and he would tie them up and light them on fire as a human torch. That, that's how serious he took getting rid of Christianity. 
He was trying to wipe it out. So what Peter is doing is he's writing to the early church members, these early believers, this is what they were living with. This is what they were scared of every time they got together, every time they, they studied scriptures or they talked about God. This is what they had to worry about. So he's writing this to them to encourage them, but also to warn them. He's warning them about false teaching, which is exactly what we're talking about tonight as we finish chapter 2. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word and follow along with me. We're going to pick up right where we stopped last week, halfway through verse 10, okay? Here we go. He says, Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they've gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. Verse 17. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if... After they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it, turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What, was, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that we can be here tonight. We thank you that we can come together and we can spend time in your word. And God, I pray that as we, as we look at this tonight, help us to understand what we're supposed to learn from this. Sometimes scripture, when we read it, God, it seems like it's really confusing and, and it's hard to figure out what we're supposed to walk away with, how we're supposed to be different. God, I pray that, that we will be different tonight because we've been in your presence and in your word, that we'll be able to understand exactly what it is that Peter has written here, what it meant for the church then and what it means for the church now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So as we read through that, it sounds like Peter's talking about a lot of weird stuff. But like I said, there's three things that he tells us that false prophets or false teachers are or false teachers do. And as we walk through this, let's just walk through these three things. The first one is this, in verses 10 and 11, is that false teachers are arrogant. Plain and simple. False teachers are arrogant. Listen to what he says in verse 10. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. 
Now let's stop for a second. Let me ask you this question. Show of hands. Don't call in any names. How many of you know somebody that you would say they're pretty arrogant? I said no names. Okay. If you're not raising your hand, maybe you and your friend group. I don't know. But we all know somebody. You can put your hands down. We all know somebody. Somebody, whether it's at school, at work, maybe you even know them at church, but it's somebody that always has an opinion or always has an answer that they think is better than everybody else's, no matter what the subject is. They are always going to be the most right person in the room. And it's not that they just share their opinion all the time. It's that they think it's the right one. No matter what it is, they are always the most correct person. What Peter is doing here is he's talking about these these false teachers that were coming into the church. He's saying, these guys are arrogant. He says they're bold and they're willful. And that part where he says they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. When you look at this, what Peter is saying is that these false teachers, they speak with arrogance. He says they're bold, they're willful, especially when they talk or speak about the things of God. When you go through and you do some research, scholars... um, Scholars believe that what Peter is talking about here is this idea that at some point in time between God creating everything and and Adam and Eve sinning um, and somewhere, we, we have a hard time nailing down that timeline, is that there were angels in heaven who sinned against God and God cast them out of heaven because God, God and sin, they don't mix So they made a willful choice to sin against God. And what scholars believe is this is what Peter is referring to. He's saying, hey, these false teachers, they'll they'll talk bad about the angels that God threw out of heaven, talking about how horrible they are. And he's saying, they don't know anything about the ways of God. They're saying things that angels themselves, the ones who are still in heaven with God, they're saying things that angels would not even say. And those angels are way closer to God than any of us are. So what he's saying is these people, they're they're speaking arrogantly about things that they don't know anything about. They're claiming to know the ways and the mind of God when they don't know the ways and the mind of God. And he's given us a warning. He said, false teachers, that's how they're going to speak. When they talk about the ways of God, they talk about the things of God, they're going to be extremely confident in the things that they are talking about. And sometimes there's a chance that they have no idea what they're saying because they don't really understand God. Let me tell you this, if you ever come across a pastor or a preacher or a teacher who's helping you understand the word of God and they have an answer for every possible question you could ever come up with, walk the other way. Because there's things about God that we don't know. There's things about God that we can't know. There's things that God does not reveal to us about himself in his word. So if you come across somebody that says, you know what, I've got the answer to every question you have about God and his ways, you need to turn around and run. Because that's a false teacher. Because anybody that's that arrogant about the ways of God, they don't really know God or understand who he is. And look at what Peter says next in verse 12. He says, these like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Have you ever seen an irrational animal before? Have you? We have a dog in our house. 
And this dog, Michaela calls it the Zoomies. Have you all ever heard of this before? I'd never heard of this before, but apparently it's a thing. There's a, there's a rug, like when you walk in the front door, there's a rug by the front door. And at some point in time, just out of nowhere, the dog will come tearing through the house and get to that rug and start turning in circles as fast as it can and then take off and jump up on the couch and bounce off the couch and come back and run 15 circles and run through the living room and run through, and just starts going crazy through the house. And it is the most irrational thing I've ever seen because there's nothing after her. There's nothing going on. There's no point to it. It just makes absolutely no sense, but she's doing it anyway. That's, that's kind of what Peter's talking about here. He's saying these teachers, they're going and they're going and they're going and they're saying things and they're doing things. And yet if you stop and you actually look at what they're doing and what they're saying, it makes no sense. Because it's not really who God is. And he goes on here and he's describing this. He says that they're suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. He says, these are people, they blaspheme about things that they can't possibly know about when it comes to God. They claim knowledge and expertise of God that God doesn't give us. And he says, they're speaking out of ignorance and out of opinion, but they're doing it with confidence. That's called arrogance. And that's a dangerous place to be when you come across somebody like that. And Peter's writing here, he says their actions, they have consequences. Because as we talked about last week, God is sovereign and God will not be mocked. God will not be misrepresented. At some point in time, God is going to do what God's going to do. And he's going to prove who he is. And it's not who false teachers say he is. And it says there also that they're pursuing ungodly things out in the open and they take joy in knowing that they're deceiving people. They take joy in knowing that the way they're living mocks God and yet at the same time they are still trying to act like they are the perfect person in the church. They're still trying to maintain fellowship with the church. And that's a dangerous person to be around because God's not going to be mocked. I'm going to keep saying it. God's not going to be mocked. He's not going to be misrepresented. God's going to do what God's going to do, and he's going to set the record straight at some point. But that's why you have to be careful with the people that you listen to when it comes to them teaching the word of God, because if you come across somebody who is arrogant, there's a pretty good chance they're a false teacher because they are confident about things when it comes to God that they can't be confident in. That's what God's word tells us. But they're not just arrogant. He also tells us in verse 14 that false teachers, they gain at the expense of others. They, they take care of themselves first. They may look like they care. They may look like they're serving. But if you look behind the screen, behind the curtain, they're taking care of themselves. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. So he breaks this down in four different ways in verse 14. The first thing he says is they've got eyes full of adultery. That's referring to sexual immorality. If, if you talk about adultery at its basic form, remember we're talking about false teachers gain at the expense of others. If you talk about adultery at its basic form, it is someone having an intimate relationship with another person that is not their husband or not their wife. 
So to say that, that these people have eyes full of adultery, it basically says that they are going after something that doesn't belong to them. They're saying, hey, that person, I want that person even though that person doesn't belong to me. So I'm going to take that person and it's going to cost whoever they really belong to. That's, that's what that's talking about. And then he goes on here and he describes them as insatiable for sin, meaning they're never satisfied. They always want more. They're always pursuing sin, constantly pleaking, seeking to please themselves as we've talked about before. Because you need to understand this. We've discussed this. When you sin, your sin is never just about you. Your sin always affects the people around you. So when you choose to sin, you are costing the people around you. And it may be time, it may be finances, it may be relationship, but you are causing others to pay a price while you spend time in your own sin. He says that's what false teachers do. They gain at the expense of others. He says they, they entice unsteady souls. They are luring people away from the truth of God's word. They go after people claiming to represent God. And yet once they get those people, they twist what God's word says. When you go back to the original language, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the word, but the meaning of the original word actually is, is a reference to, to like fishing with bait. I mean, the whole point, when you go out fishing, how many of you have ever tried fishing and just throwing a hook in the water with absolutely nothing on it? Were you successful? Okay, sometimes it might work. Sometimes, I've heard this phrase too, a broken clock is twi right twice a day, okay? Sometimes you might get lucky and it might work. But nine times out of ten, you're going to catch nothing. But, but this is the idea that that you're fishing and you put bait on that hook and you are luring those fish to that hook and when they bite, you yank them out of the water and they're dead. He's saying that they're enticing these people who aren't grounded solidly in God's Word. They're enticing them with what looks like God and what looks like a good thing and yet when they get them, they're, they're dead because they're led away from the truth of what God's Word says. It also says there, they have hearts trained in greed. False teachers are focused on their own personal gain. And quite frankly, if you look at it today, you see a lot of it play out in people pursuing wealth and possessions. I mean, I, I'm, I, I, told, I told Cooper I wasn't going to do this. I'm not calling out names tonight for people that I believe are false teachers, but there's a whole bunch of them out there. But you may know who some of them are. It's these people who, who look like rock star preachers at some mega churches and they're living like millionaires while their church members break their backs day by day to earn a living and help support the church and what they believe is God's work. False teachers gain at the expense of others. And then Peter gives us a real life example in verses 15 and 16. He says, forsaking the right way, they've gone astray, which means they're not following God. They're following their own way. They followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Have you all ever heard of Balaam before? Have you heard of Balaam's donkey? No? Okay. He's making a reference. He's going back to Old Testament scripture here. He's going back to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's, where is it? Genesis? No, not Genesis. Where is it? Numbers? 
Numbers, thank you. Numbers 22 through 24. That's where it is. Thank you very much. You know this account in Scripture, don't you? So you've got this guy by the name of Balaam, okay? Balaam was hired by a man named, or by, by a guy that was the king of Boab, or Moab. I got to get all these names straight tonight. Here's basically what happened. The king of Moab sent his servants, said, hey, I want you to go to Balaam. Balaam is this guy that, that says he's a prophet. Balaam is this guy that says he can speak for God and not just the God of Israel, but all the gods. And he said, I want you to go get this guy and I want you to pay him and I want you to bring him to me because I want him to speak curses over the nation of Israel. So they go and Balaam says, no, I'm not going to do that. Now, scholars tell us that it's probable that he said no, not because he was scared of what God was going to do, but because he was a prophet for hire, he might have wanted a little bit more money. So they come to him again and say, hey, we're going to do this. We need you to do this, and, and, and we're going to pay you more money. And eventually Balaam says, okay, I'm going to go. So he goes, but on the way, and this is how cool God is, on the way, God knows where he's going. And God doesn't want Balaam to speak prophecies against his people. So an angel of God stands in his path with a sword. The problem is Balaam can't see it, but his donkey can. And as his donkey sees it, Scripture tells us the donkey tries to turn away. And Balaam gets upset and Balaam basically whips the donkey and tries to make him go forward. But the donkey still sees it and tries to go the other way. And Balaam getting angry. If you guys ever had an animal that won't go where you want, you understand Balaam's anger here. Same dog in my house. But the donkey still won't go. So Balaam gets angry, whips this animal again. And finally, the donkey, who can't talk, turns around and says, why are you hitting me? Can't you see what's up in front of us? And Scripture tells us in that moment that Balaam's eyes are open and he sees the angel of God blocking his way. And, and that's, that's what Peter's talking about here. Peter's talking about this idea that, that God used a donkey, a creature that can't speak like you and I can speak, to open Balaam's eyes to the angel that was blocking his way. And after all that went down, Balaam still ends up going, but God charges him, hey, you only speak the words that I speak. And the ironic thing is, Balaam ends up speaking blessings over Israel and blessings over God's people instead of the curses that he was hired to speak in the first place. But he's saying, Balaam? Balaam was in it for the prophet. Balaam was claiming to represent God, but he was doing it for his own gain. His whole intent was to make money at the expense of others because that's what false teachers do. They work to succeed and gain for themselves by deceiving and manipulating other people. False teachers gain at the expense of others. And the last one is this. False teachers give false hope. Look at what he writes in verse 17. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. 
For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. I love how Peter uses these these word pictures here that these original readers, the people he wrote it to, they would have understood immediately what he's talking about. He starts off by talking about how these false teachers, they're waterless springs and they're mists driven by a storm. Springs during that time, they were seen in that culture, they were a source of hope and a source of life. It's not like us where you just walk over to the kitchen sink and hit the faucet or walk over to your refrigerator with your cup and hit my, oh, I want the crushed ice, hit the crushed ice, and then your water, and you've got something to drink anytime you want. they, They were dependent upon things like springs. If they came to a spring and that spring was empty and they were counting on that for water, that could be the difference between life and death for them. You know, we get disappointed when we go to the fridge, pour a bowl of cereal, and go to put milk in it, and there's nothing in the jug that somebody stuck back in the carton. That's why, why do you get disappointed with that? There's something, something wrong with you. I don't know why they do that. But it happens, right? I mean, we've been there. But hey, we get, ex- we get upset when there's no milk. And we don't even need it to live. He's talking about springs that people are dependent upon for life. And when they come upon those springs and it's not there, they have a false hope. He says these false teachers, that's what they're like. They give the promise, they give the picture, they give the appearance that something that is going to give people life is there and it's going to be ready for them. And then when they get to the bottom of it, they realize it's all a lie. He talks about these springs, but he also talks about these myths. There, there, there was um, beliefs, cultural beliefs during that time that, that the mist that, that, you know, we wake up in the morning and sometimes you see the fog. And, and in older times in ships, there were cultures that believed that when a mist was on the water, if you were out in a boat, there were, there were unknown, dangerous, dark things hidden in that mist. M- mist was something that wasn't to be trusted. And that's the correlation. That's the picture that he's giving here. He's saying these false teachers, you can't trust what they are saying because there's hidden things in there that you can't see. There's things that can harm you that you don't even know about. He's talking about these false teachers. They're equivalent to like to that because they teach the word of God, yet what they're actually doing is never delivering on those empty promises. One example, maybe you've heard of this, is the prosperity gospel. And if you've never heard of that before, let me briefly explain it to you. It says this. It says that when you come to the point that you understand you're a sinner, and you ask for the forgiveness of God through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, and you put your faith and trust in Him, that you now, as a believer, as a Christian, God is going to bless your life in every way possible. Things will be okay. You won't have problems. You'll make money. You'll have all of the things that you not only need, but want. That's the prosperity gospel. And believe it or not, There's a lot of people out there that believe that. That God is going to bless you in every way. In your your relationships, in your health, in your possessions, in your finances. That sounds great, doesn't it? But if you look at all of Scripture, that's not what Scripture says. 
You, you can flip over just a couple chapters in the book of James. James 1, verses 2 through 4. Listen to what this says. Count it all joy, my brothers. James is writing to other believers when you meet trials of various kinds. That doesn't sound like a prosperous life. That doesn't sound like a life that is trouble-free because I've now put my faith and trust in God. But he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How can you be living a completely blessed and prosperous life if you're experiencing trials? You see, when you dig a little bit deeper on some of these false teachings, you find out real quick from God's word that it's not true. And what these false teachers are doing is they're trying to, 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 to realize or what these people are realizing about these false teachers that so many of us realize is that everything they're saying is a lie. There's a little bit of Jesus in there. You've heard this said before, at least I hope you have. The best lies based on a little bit of truth. But when you dig a little bit deeper, you find out it's all a lie. And, and, and Peter is saying, hey, you need to be on guard because these false teachers, they give false hope. And he goes on here and he talks about the fact that, that what they're promising is they're promising freedom in Christ. But that freedom in Christ is presented as an opportunity to live however you want. And I've heard people, I've, I've heard people in my own family, not my immediate family, but people in my own family make this argument that, well, I've been forgiven by God, therefore I have freedom in Christ, so I can indulge in some of these other things because I've already been forgiven for doing those things. I'm not trapped by them because God's forgiven me. That's not what God's Word says. God's Word says even to abstain from all appearances of evil. When we look at this, we see that they're teaching things like pursuing sin, dishonoring God, living in ways that the Bible clearly teaches are unholy. That's not what we're supposed to do. Yet false teachers tell us, just do what makes you happy because God loves you and you're forgiven. God does love you. God can and will forgive you. But he doesn't tell you to live however you want in the way that makes you happy. Because your happiness, what makes you happy, let's be honest, what made you happy two years ago is probably not what makes you happy today. And what makes you happy today may not even be what makes you happy tomorrow. See, what we have to understand when it comes to following God, and this is what false teachers won't tell you this, is that God is way more concerned about your holiness than he is your happiness. You weren't saved to live a happy life. You were saved to live a holy life. And false teachers don't teach that. Scripture tells us, you and I, our salvation, if you've put your faith and trust in Christ, your salvation is not about you. Your salvation is about God. God cares way more about your holiness than your happiness. And he goes on and finishes this in verse 21. He says, For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to, the wall to wallow in the mire. Peter is saying it would have been better off for these false teachers and the people that follow them to have never known the gospel than to have claimed it and then twisted it and turned away from it. 
He says what scripture says. They're like dogs. They're like pigs. We look at dogs now and we think, oh, those are cute. They're our pets. But during this time, when this was written, dogs were very rarely a pet. They might have been used for, for cattle work at different times to herd flocks, but they weren't pets. They were animals that roamed the streets fighting and looking for scraps. To be called a dog was an insult. To be called a pig, which in the Old Testament, an animal that was unclean to eat by God's standards, to be called those animals, those are insults that he's doing here. Peter's using harsh words, but they're ones that we need to pay attention to. He's saying it, it is better for you to have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ than to say, I trust in that and then lead people astray from it or to turn away from it yourself. So you guys, we're, we're, we're walking through this chapter and, and quite frankly, I, I have struggled the last two weeks to walk through this because I walk through this and as I'm reading this and I'm trying to decide how are we going to talk about this, this is not fun stuff. This, this, this is hard stuff to deal with. There's not a lot of jokes to tell about this. There's not a lot of funny stories to tell about this because this is serious. Because when it comes to the Word of God, and there are people out there who are twisting the Word of God and it's leading themselves and everybody who's following them. Let me rephrase. Some of the people who are following them, straight to hell. Because I have to believe that God can still use His Word. Because Scripture tells us His Word does not return void. So I do believe that, yes, even there are some people sitting under false teachers who still have the right heart and have a right understanding. There's a lot of people that don't. And it's a scary place to be. And my fear and my prayer is for every single one of us in this room, students, adults, myself included, that we will know what to look for when we hear somebody teaching Scripture. That we won't do what we talked about last week and see this great little quote with a picture of a pastor from something they preached on Sunday and repost it and never stop and think or look, is that really what God's Word says about God? That you will open the Bible for yourself. That you will read it. That you will work to understand it. And hey, let me let you in on a secret. There's no cliff notes for the Bible. Spark notes, whatever it is you use these days. I'm showing my age here. You've got to read it yourself. You've got to study it for yourself. Never take a teacher or a pastor's word for what God's word says. Open it on your own every single time. Because when you do that, you'll be able to recognize false teaching. You'll be able to know. The only way you will ever know what false teaching looks like is if you know what the truth actually says. Which is why it is so crucial for every one of us to be in here on our own. I am glad you guys come on Sundays and Wednesdays and sit here. And those of you who haven't been playing on your phone and talking for the last half an hour and paying attention to what we're doing, I'm glad you're here. But don't walk out of here without ever opening this. Don't go home and think, that was cool. I'm going to go back next week and see what I can learn. There's six days between here and next Wednesday. Read Second Peter for yourself. Go back and read chapter 1. Read chapter 2. Next week, we're going to start off on chapter 3. So go ahead and start reading chapter 3 for next week so that when I get up here and I start opening my mouth, 
and I say something, which I hope I don't, but if I say something contrary to Scripture, you can say, whoa, hold on. Now, please don't like call me out in front of everybody. Come and talk to me, and if I'm wrong, we'll talk about it, and I'll correct it when I'm up in front of everybody again. I'll do that, okay, because that's what we need to do. But I would rather you catch me because you know what God's Word says than blindly follow what I say every single week. Please, 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 don't let yourself be deceived. Know what God's word says so that you will not be fooled when somebody twists God's word. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we can come together today and we can study your word. And God, we thank you that we can have scripture like this that that addresses things that are uncomfortable. God, I pray for every single one of us in this room. Help us to draw so close to you, God, to pursue you through your word so feverishly, so passionately, God, that we won't be fooled, that we won't be deceived. God, that we won't be led astray by other people that say you are something that you are not. God, I pray that in this room right here tonight, give each one of us a passion to pursue you and your word. And, and if you're here tonight and maybe you don't have a passion to pursue Christ through the word of God, maybe you're struggling. I don't even know where to start. I want to encourage you. Take a moment and talk to God about that. Ask Him to give you that desire. We've been talking about it on Sunday nights. It's a spiritual discipline. It's something that you do. Even when there's days that you don't feel like doing it, that's what discipline is because God's Word never returns void. Spend time in His Word and ask God to give you that desire. If you want myself or one of these other adults to pray with you, or better yet, even to show you where to start reading on your own, come talk to one of us. We would love to show you how to do that. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. God, I pray you'll help each one of us to pursue you through your Word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.